0: Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. If Philip is listening, this is probably going to be the thing that he wants to record, which is nothing about anything that I told you guys I was going to talk about. I will get to the other. But, you know, this is the cool thing about radio. During commercial break, I can stumble upon stuff and... Uh, my goodness, um, it, it it sparks ideas and the flow of thought. You never know what I'm going to talk about, including me and my staff until I get through a commercial break. <laughs> I am distracted, though. I, I got to admit out of the gate, it's the third hour. You can you can you can we can be a little more loose here. Uh, my wife and kids are at the beach. I should be at the beach with them, except it was somewhat spur of the moment. Um, I, um, my kids, uh, they wanted a spring break and we were probably going to not do spring break this year, just have a staycation, uh, because of work. Uh, but then my mother-in-law and father-in-law really wanted to go to the beach. Uh, we hadn't been able to spend a lot of time with them lately. And so it's like, y'all go to the beach spur of the moment. I found them a place. Uh, we put it on our credit card. And away they went with my in-laws to go to the beach for a week. And it was so spur of the moment, I couldn't figure out how in fairness to my staff and everybody uh, that I could just bail for a week with maybe a week's notice. It's kind of hard. You got to figure out guest hosts or best ofs and all that. And I just wasn't going to put Charlie through that. So I stayed home. So now I have a list of chores that I have to do. Uh, how am I, how do I have all these things I got to do when they all go to the beach? Uh, aren't Don't I get a vacation as well? I'm going to go hit golf balls and maybe, uh, like have early happy hours. <laughs> I do have to confess something before we go in. Just y'all will all get a laugh at me out of this one. You know, I like to cook and I put on Instagram, the things that I cook. And I've been trying every week now to develop a recipe, or find a good recipe that our family cooks, and send it out on the email on Wednesday. You can get on the recipe list. It's very easy. You text the word "word recipe" singular recipe to three three seven seven seven. You can sign up. And every Wednesday, around noon, I send out a recipe, and it's not just old family favorites. Occasionally, I try to come up with new recipes myself. And with everyone out of time this week, I've decided to develop a couple of recipes. One is bread pudding with Krispy Kreme donuts. (laughs) Yes. The other one, meatballs. I love a good meatball. I'm particular in the way I like the meatballs. And I've been working on a meatball recipe. And I've been taking a lot of old classic Italian recipes. And I think I hit on the perfect recipe. And then as I was letting them simmer in the tomatoes. I cleaned up after myself yesterday and there was a lot of grease from, you got to saute brown the, the meatballs before you simmer them in the sauce so they don't break apart. And I wiped across the range to get all the grease off. And I did not realize that I had turned them to high heat and I'm sitting on the couch. It's just me and the dog. We're home alone all week. And I was sitting on the couch with the dog is like, 12 o'clock I was thinking dog it's noon is it too early for bourbon and cigars And the dog just looked and I'm pretty sure the dog was telling me it's okay no one's home who's gonna know don't talk about it on radio and then I thought hmm those meatballs smell really good they shouldn't smell this good for another couple of hours and I ran to the kitchen and could hear them boiling But how can they be boiling on the simmer setting? And that's when I discovered I had developed a brilliant recipe for charcoal briquettes in tomato sauce. We're going to have a do-over today after I get back from the gym. I have people coming over at 7 o'clock tonight. I'll have plenty of time to have a do-over of the meatballs and get this recipe done for you people on Wednesday if it's good. Otherwise, I'll pull something else. All right. Now we're going to move on to the stuff I want to talk about. I, too, burn stuff on the stove. You can feel better about yourself. I mean, these things were just... Actually, the tops of them were okay. You could hold them, and you could eat the just very top of them, and they were pretty tasty. It's just about half of it was a cinder block. Okay. All right. Now, this story. Will Hurd was a congressman a black Republican congressman from South Texas. He's actually a very interesting fellow. he's always been a little more moderate and I just I I wanna I wanna read for you a little bit of this but this just uh, this this triggered me It's the only word I can come up with and and, and maybe you as well Last spring, Having just retired from Congress, Will Hurd was feeling adrift. He had agreed to write a book telling his remarkable life story and diagnosing a malfunctioning political system, all while teasing out a run for the presidency in 2024. But Hurd struggled with an underlying anxiety. For the first time in his adult life, the guy who'd climbed so quickly, from college-class president to star CIA operative to lone black Republican in the House. Didn't know his next move. Finally, Heard sat down with his nearly 30-year-old father and shared his concerns. William, I can't give any advice on what you should do because I don't understand any of these things, Bob Heard told his youngest son. But I know what you shouldn't do. Don't be desperate because when you're desperate, you make bad decisions. The former congressman tells me the story on the back patio of El Chaparral restaurant, one of his favorite haunts in suburban San Antonio. We're drinking ranch water, tequila and lime juice over ice with seltzer and comparing notes on his book, American Reboot, which spliced together riveting tales that help illuminate his views of a Republican Party that's rotting from the top down. But the book doesn't contain the story about this father-son talk. Rather, the anecdotes suffer, surfaces organically, When I ask Hurd about his brutal indictment of the GOP and how that has changed his relationship with Kevin McCarthy and Elise Stefanik and others, party leaders who he considered personal friends. Some of my friends, some of my former colleagues, they're desperate, Heard tells me. They're so desperate to hold on to their positions, to hold on to their power, they make really bad decisions. Now, I want to skip down. I want to skip down. Because there's a part in here that it just it, it kind of latched onto me, and I it, it 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 frustrates me that this is here. Hurd's book, Congressman Hurd's book, is notable for many reasons. His personal and professional journeys are legitimately compelling but most of all for its rebuke of America's proportionality problem. Drawing on his diverse experiences from chasing down intelligence overseas to parsing classified documents in Congress to working with groundbreaking tech companies today, Heard argues that we are woefully unprepared for what is coming our way. Quantum computing has the potential to break every form of encryption that guards our money and our secrets. Artificial intelligence could cut the service-based workforce in half every two years. Biomechanical advances will force questions about the ethics of rewiring our brains and halting the degradation of human cells. In the meantime, China will continue its siege of the American economy swiping our intellectual property, snapping up our real estate, sabotaging our investments, while Russia will intensify its decades-old campaign to delegitimize our systems of government and turn Americans against each other. His subtext is plain enough. To confront these challenges, Hurd's colleagues in the Republican Party might need to rethink their fixation on transgender athletes in critical race theory. Everyone treats everything these days like it's some damn emergency and it's got to stop, Heard said. We're going to be dealing with issues that are so complicated and so life-altering that they make the stuff we're dealing with right now look like tickle fights. Heard proposes a wholesale reorientation of our politics away from the dopamine-induced cultural conflicts of the day and toward the generational trials that will shape American life in the 21st century every damn time. The media wants to cover some Republican who everyone should pay attention to. It is always, these cultural fights are so icky. Can't we just stop talking about them? We're so tired of talking about the cultural fights. We need to be talking about quantum theory. Every single time. It is, I have decided over the years, one of the great hallmarks of the cultural elite in the Republican party, when they say, please stop talking about the cultural stuff. We don't like it. It's that cultural stuff that is getting Republicans, black and Hispanic voters. It's that cultural stuff that is expanding the Republican party. And they don't like it. Please stop talking about this stuff. Please stop talking about don't say gay. Please stop talking about transgender athletes. Please stop. There's a great distinction between the elite and the rest of the country when you decide that you are beneath a particular topic or a particular topic is beneath you, and yet it galvanizes Americans across the country. What the hell sort of bubble are you in that you can't realize parents don't like boys competing against girls in sports? What bubble are you in that you can't realize that there are a lot of people, black and white, who don't think children should be taught they're either oppressed or oppressors at all times? What sort of bubble are you in that you don't think Americans should be taught that their entire system is built on racism based on a revised view of American history? I agree with Will Heard. There are very big, important issues for our nation to face. But this old this disdain for cultural issues the Republicans are winning on cultural issues. the Republicans are winning black and Hispanic voters on cultural issues. What's happening here is we're going through a political realignment and it is not going the way some people like. I myself would prefer a Republican Party that recommits itself to small government and fiscal conservatism. That is the way I've always been. That is the way I will always be. The government that does the least does it the best. A government that is big enough to give you everything is a government big enough to take it all away. We should avoid that. I believe that philosophically. I am a small government, fiscal, social conservative. But you know what? The world as it exists is not like me. And I'm not going to stand around and lament to the Atlantic that I wish they would stop talking about big government giveaways and start talking about my issue instead. But it's always the cultural elite in this country who poo-poo the idea of transgender sports. You're just a bunch of bigots. You're just a bunch of, can you please stop talking about this issue? I don't like to talk about the issue. I don't think I should have to talk about the issue, but I have to talk about the issue because so many people tell me I shouldn't talk about the issue. And frankly, it's an issue where they design their entire worldview based on you and me shutting up and making us shut up so we can't talk about the issue. So, in fact, I have to talk about the issue. I don't want to, but it's an issue on which Republicans and conservatives are winning. Same with critical race theory. When you have a bunch of kids going to school and learning that they're either oppressed or oppressor, and we need to feel bad about ourselves, that's an issue that pisses parents off. And so you should talk about the issue. And this, this well, we should be more high-minded and we should talk about, you can't talk about the other things. If you want to try, but that's not where people's attention is right now. And if you're so upset with that, don't be upset with me. Be upset with them. I'm not the one trying to get boys on the girls swim team. They are. And you think I should surrender and just say, oh, I'm sorry. I got to talk about quantum computing in China. taking over. You guys have the field. Screw your daughters. You should be able to do all of the above you should be able to multitask. Rarely do I read a profile of an American politician and come away with more disdain than I had, and I never really had a strong opinion on Will Hurd. But this idea that the Republican Party should just give up the culture war issues that they're actually winning on right now, that they're actually going to win a majority on, that they're actually galvanizing Hispanic and black voters, it makes you wonder how the guy lost or actually he decided not to run again because he was afraid he would lose. Now he wants to run for president? He was a congressman from Texas, and now he wants to run for president? Y'all, I know some of you because I get your emails. You, you, you get tired of the, the the cultural stuff, the social stuff, the theological stuff. I, I, realize, I realize that, and I try my level best to balance it out. But the fact of the matter is there are many of you who are not blessed with a very large microphone by which you can talk about these things. And these things are actually advancing the conservative movement and advancing Republican votes and moving the Republicans into a more diverse field. And the entirety of the media and the liberal elite in the country and the cultural elite who to tell you what you should and shouldn't talk about are aligned against it. We are in the midst of a great political, cultural, philosophical realignment in this country. And the loudest voices say, no, 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 are the ones who realize their side is losing in the realignment and they don't like it. And they drip with disdain for the others. And, you know, at some point you got to be comfortable realizing that, you know, society is changing. Maybe I should figure out why it is instead of lamenting that, oh, those icky Republicans are talking about things I don't like. I just wish they would talk about my stuff instead. Maybe they would talk about your stuff if you didn't drip with disdain for everything else they're doing and talking about. Okay. I, I want to state something that should be obvious. That may not be obvious for people. I like a high thread count sheet, but if the threads are crap, the sheet's going to be crap. No matter how many uh, threads you need, it just, it, it's, it's amazing how people want to highlight that. And the reason I highlight this is because Bolin Branch makes high quality sheets and they're not a bajillion, bajillion thread count either but their threads are super high quality. They use 100% organic cotton threads. They give super softness. You get a better night's sleep. They're not just buttery, soft, and breathable, impossibly soft to start. They get softer with every wash. I can attest to this. Every time you wash them, they just seem to get a little softer. And they hold up so well over the long term. You know, I'm on... Gosh, maybe my second set of Bowling Branch sheets in in a decade or so. They just hold up so well. They're a quality product, and they give you such a good night's sleep. Oh, my gosh. They're so fantastic. I really do love these sheets, and I love Bolin Branch. You can, too. They are fantastic. They're so luxurious. Three U.S. presidents sleep under Bolin Branch sheets. So you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at branch.com. That's B-O-L-L-E. A N D com. The promo code is Eric. Get a good night's sleep under bullet branch sheets. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number eight, seven, seven, nine, seven, three, seven, four, two, five. If you want to be on the program, let's go to Tom. You're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hi, Tom. Hi. How you doing? Uh, good. How are you? I just wanted, I'm um, doing great. Uh, I just want to say something about Trump. Uh, I believe that there's two things that he has to do if he's going to reunite reunite the party. If he doesn't, I don't think he has a chance in 2024. The two things is simply this. I don't think they will happen, but to apologize to Governor Kemp and also to apologize to Vice President Pence. If he goes ahead and humbles himself to do that, I think he can come back on and believe that he would get a lot more support than, uh, than uh, he did before or has today. <laughs> Tom, uh, you know, yeah, I think you're right. He's probably not going to do either one of these things. I, I'm with, with uh, Brian Kemp down in Georgia on track to probably win that gubernatorial primary down there. I don't know uh, what Trump's going to do. But then, you know, the, he's got the situation in North Carolina as well. So Pat McCrory was the popular Republican governor of North Carolina. He was a good governor. He lost a bid after the media went nuts uh, with North Carolina's transgender legislation. He forged a compromise that was acceptable to conservatives and others. And the media went after him still. And he sat out for a while. I think he became a radio show host for a little while. He's a very nice guy. uh, And He's running against Mark Walker, who I, he's, is not doing well in the polling. And Ted Budd, Ted Bud is the congressman, and Mark Walker is a congressman as well. Ted Budd has Donald Trump's endorsement. And McCrory is just running head and shoulders above them, despite the entire Trump team coming after him. And it looks like he's going to win the nomination. And I do wonder what happens to the situation If these guys actually win, when Trump has been so vociferous against them, I mean, obviously you're not expecting Trump to come in and campaign for the Democrat, but will they do anything to mend fences? Uh, These guys will tell you privately that they got where they got without him. They can go forward without him. But I mean, we're, we're looking at an odd future of the GOP here, uh, given these dynamics. Well, it's been a roundabout way to get to back where I was going to go. (laughs) Trust me, I'm a professional. I can do this. But before I get there, Josh Hour sent me this link to something he was just writing. Exactly what I was talking about here. Headline, Republicans are winning the culture wars. One of the notable moments in Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown Jackson's largely anticlimactic confirmation hearings came when GOP Senator Marsha Blackburn asked the judge if she could define what a woman is. No, I can't. I'm not a biologist. Jackson responded in a viral clip Taylor made for conservatives that marked one of her few stumbles in an otherwise impressive debut on the national stage. While the exchange will end up as a mere asterisk in the history books, it does reflect a larger progressive blindness on cultural issues that Republicans are all too eager to litigate in the upcoming midterms and beyond. Progressive Democrats have staked out ideological territory on cultural flashpoints ranging from race and gender to affirmative action, crime and policing, education, and COVID restrictions that are out of the political mainstream. Some of these fights, like the battle over inclusive language, like the much-discussed debate over Latinx, end up being more symbolic than substantive. Other flashpoints, like the fight against testing and gifted and talented programs in the name of racial equity, are quality of life issues where the stakes are higher. But the one thing they all have in common is that there are issues where Democrats are on the losing side of a debate that's becoming increasingly salient to voters. As Democrat political scientist Ray Texiera, co-author of the Liberal Patriot blog, told the New York Times, the current Democratic brand suffers from multiple deficiencies that make it somewhere between uncompelling and toxic to wide swaths of American voters who might potentially be their allies. It really is just fascinating to me how wrong the people are who think the GOP needs to abandon these culturally conservative issues. A political morning consult poll found 51% of Americans support banning the teaching of sexual orientation and gender identity from kindergarten through third grade. Only 35% opposed it. 52% supported limiting lessons on such topics to age-appropriate discussions 33% opposed a separate poll of Florida voters commissioned by the bipartisan Floridians for Economic Advancement, found 52% supported uh, the DeSantis legislation on parental rights and education that the left called the Don't Say Gay bill. Uh, 36% of respondents opposed it. 32% of Floridians strongly support banning discussions of sexual orientation for K-3. through Democratic voters also support it. Views on education were also tested in a national poll conducted by pollster Ann Selzer. The poll found widespread dissatisfaction about public education, deepest frustration from Republicans and independents. 64% said that what kids are taught in public schools was on the wrong track. The issue of how schools teach about race correlated to this. 64% who believe schools were on the wrong track. 54% said they distrusted educators teaching on race. The poll found widespread dissatisfaction with racial preferences in education. Over two-thirds of respondents said colleges and universities should not be allowed to take the race of their applicants into consideration when deciding who to admit. And yet there would be people who tell you Republicans and conservatives should abandon these issues. Tell you what's getting abandoned. The real abandonment is happening in the cities controlled by Democrats. There are two stories that actually intersect here, and I'm actually more fascinated with the one than the other. Uh, And the one I'm really fascinated by is the population decline in the United States. According to the census, the U.S. population grew at the slowest pace in history in 2021. In 2020, that was the slowest pace in history saw the lowest U.S. population growth rates ever, and now 2021 tops that. Uh, We didn't just fade away. It it slipped and fell off a cliff, according to The Atlantic. The 2010s were demographically stagnant. Every year from 2011 to 2017, the U.S. grew by only about 2 2 million people. In 2020, we grew by 1.1 million people. Last year, we only added 393,000 people. Uh, immigration, death, and birth. We have declining fertility rates. We have increasing deaths. COVID had a lot to do with that. Uh, A million people killed in the conservative estimate. When you take the excess deaths. So in 2020, something remarkable happened. We had a lot more people die than usual. Like people undiagnosed with COVID for reasons we're dying. You know, the number one cause of death from COVID was not COVID. It was a heart attack. And a lot of scientists think we underestimated COVID deaths, despite all the chatter out there about the CDC, messing data and stuff. Just follow along with me here. In 2020, there was an extraordinarily high number of people globally, not just in this country, but in this country, an extraordinary number of people who died of heart attacks. More so than prior years, in 2020, there's a massive spike, and in 2021 as well, of people who died of heart attacks. So this is big spike. Now, the spike does not come with a correlation towards obesity. It doesn't come with a correlation towards heart disease or anything else. And so there are a lot of people out there who speculate this may be COVID-related. And the reason is because COVID attacks your lungs, deprives you of oxygen. And a lot of people who were released from the hospital having gotten through COVID went home and dropped out of heart attacks because of the stress on their hearts. And so there are some people, not all, but but a good number of credible people out there thinking uh, that we should consider this as all part of the COVID fallout, if not directly related to it. Regardless of the cause, there has been a massive spike in deaths. The pandemic killed a million people. A majority of deaths happened after the COVID vaccines which means a lot of them happened in 2021. Uh, Deaths exceeded births in record high number of U.S. counties. Never before in American history, have so many different parts of the country shrunk because of natural decrease, excess deaths accounted for 50% of the difference in population growth from 2019 to 2021. And then there's immigration. As recently as 2016, net immigration exceeded a million people. But immigration has collapsed by about 75%, falling below 250,000 last year. Immigration fell by more than half in almost all the hot spots for foreign born immigrants, for foreign born migrants, including New York, Miami, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. Some is economic, but much of it is a policy choice. We're not admitting people. Now you add all of that together and then you get to this story. The recent, this is from Unheard, uh, the recent census report about mass migration away from America's most celebrated centers, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Chicago, may have come as shock to many urban boosters, but actually it's simply a continuation of long running trends that go back 70 years. These putative occupiers of the commanding heights lost more of their population than some of the perennial urban losers like Cleveland and St. Louis, while the sprawling Sunbelt cities like Dallas and Houston saw large gains, as did the metros of Austin, Raleigh, Durham, Phoenix, and Jacksonville. Consider that in 1950, the core cities accounted for nearly 24% of the population, and now it's only 15%. Between 2010 and 2020, the suburbs and the exurbs of the major metropolitan areas accounted for 90% of all U.S. population growth. Over that time, suburbs and exurbs gained 2 million net domestic migrants while the urban core lost 2.7 million. This is going on continually. San Francisco is losing citizen residents at an alarming rate. The cores of urban areas are beginning to collapse. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who said there's a tent village now near his house. lives out in L.A. So there's just a massive tent village outside his neighborhood. And people in his neighborhood, the police won't do anything about it. A lot of the people in the neighborhood are good liberals. And they're fine with the homeless there, except they're all starting to move. And he's thinking he's going to have to move. And he's thinking, why should I stay here anyway? You know, in Texas, they've had a massive influx. Austin, Texas, it's one of the Austin, Texas and Nashville, Tennessee are two of the most rapidly growing metropolitan areas in the country. They're both Republican-run states. Fairly progressive cities, Austin more so than Nashville. Interestingly enough, the people who are moving to Texas and Tennessee tend to be more conservative than the natives. Texas especially, the data shows that people who moved into Texas, there's been a great fear of, of Republicans What if all these people move into our state and they are liberals? In Texas, the people moving into the state are actually more likely to be conservative than the natives. In Georgia, it's the exact opposite problem. Georgia, the Atlanta area, has seen a lot of people move in in the last couple of years. As people are leaving New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, they're moving down to the Atlanta area. They tend to be more liberal. And they're shaping the dynamics there. And this has a lot to do with the way business has been attracted. In Georgia, uh, prior to the current governor of Georgia, the the last couple of governors, they tried to attract major Fortune 500 companies to move to Georgia. took my kid to Georgia Tech recently for uh, um, for consideration. She went to an admissions visit. And they noted that Georgia is number three for Fortune 500 companies now got more Fortune 500 companies than all but two other states. And a lot of it is prior governors mo- encouraged the Fortune 500 to move to Georgia, and they didn't hire Georgians. They brought a bunch of their liberals from their coastal cities to Georgia, and they've shaken the dynamic up, and the, and the state has moved more rapidly to be in a purple state as opposed to a red or a blue state, while Texas, meanwhile, it's the migrants into Texas that are keeping that a hardcore red state plus the shift in Hispanic voters. If the Georgia Republicans somehow figure out how to actually uh, get Hispanic voters to support them, they may be locking in dominance in Georgia in ways that Democrats can't stop. Uh, Georgia has a a now statewide Hispanic official, John King. He's the insurance commissioner of the state. Uh, Donald Trump is supporting someone against him, uh, but he's he's got enough of a support in the state. He was appointed to the job because the old guy went to jail. He fell into the job and and has done a great, great job. We had him on the show, John King, I think two weeks ago or last week. And Georgia may be able to put in some credibility with Hispanic voters. Hispanic voters are going to save the GOP in a lot of these states, but also people moving in. Unlike uh, Georgia, though, other states, the transplant seem to be conservative. Florida as well. The Jacksonville area has seen a major move of migrants into that area. The census says a lot of people have moved into the Jacksonville, Florida area, and they tend, based on the known people who've moved into their voting habits, to be conservative. That's good for those states. But there's a larger problem here. The collapse of urban cores and the rubble left behind. This February, I'm reading from something written by T.A. Frank. This February, Bruce Harrell, newly installed as mayor of Seattle, made it official his city has gone into decline. The truth is the status quo is unacceptable, he said. It seems like every day I hear stories of longtime small businesses closing their doors for good or leaving our city. It's not just small businesses. In mid-March, Amazon announced it was abandoning a 312,000 square foot office space in downtown because of crime. That such woes should afflict one of the richest cities in the country with a median household income of over $100,000 cannot be blamed on economic decline. Yet much of Seattle's core looks like a pockmarked ghost town. Businesses on both sides of 3rd Avenue a major thoroughfare are boarded up. Blocks from the Four Seasons Hotel and the Fairmont Hotel, tents crowd the sidewalks, and drug users sit under awnings holding pieces of foil over lighter flames. Traffic enforcement is minimal to non-existent. The year 2020 saw a 68% spike in homicides and a 40% surge in 911 calls for shots fired and a 100% surge in drive-by shootings. Petty crime plagues every neighborhood of the city and downtown businesses have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to fund their own security. What's happening around the country in the collapse of the urban cores? is progressive policies. And those progressive policies have been uh, in large part funded by people like George Soros who fund light on crime district attorneys and politicians at the local level. And their cities turn into essentially third world hellholes inside the United States. When you have America in population decline, and you have urban cores in population decline, it may wind up being politically good for the GOP, but it's bad for all of us because we have this massive infrastructure. Taxpayers will in some way have to figure out what to do with, and that rarely ends well for taxpayers. We're going to have some real fiscal and population problems in the country in large part because of progressive policies in urban areas, but also because Americans have kind of given up on America and they're not having babies anymore. And that has long, long-term problems as we have a growing number of senior citizens needing government dependence, and fewer and fewer taxpayers funding the money to fund the government to fund the government dependence. Now, before I get out of here, I need to tell you about Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile is a great cell phone company. I have two phones, one of which is a Patriot Mobile phone. And I take it with me because I always get curious when I move to um, remote parts of the state of Georgia where I am, is the quality as good as my other phone? And it always is, if not better, in some parts of the state Uh, because Patriot Mobile uses the same cell towers everyone else uses. And you can decide, do I want to be on the cell towers run by this company or that company? And so I've got uh, one phone by a cell company that owns the towers, and then Patriot Mobile, I use the other towers. And – never fails that when I'm in an area where my one company is bad, Patriot Mobile is always good with the the quality of service. You use those cell towers, you can move your own phone number over, or you can get a new phone number. You also can get great discounts if you're a veteran or a first responder, if you're a teacher, if you've got a number of lines on the house, uh, what have you. And Patriot Mobile is Christian and conservative, and they dedicate a portion of their profits to advancing the Christian conservative cause of the country. So not only are you using a good company that shares your values, but by using them, you're helping them raise their profits, which then flow into the conservative movement. And they got 100% U.S.-based customer service. If you want to use them, go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Or you can call them, 972-PATRIOTS, their phone number. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. They're really good company. Great people, really are. And they also really fund the causes you care about. They put their money where their mouth is. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. So a, a member of Ukraine's parliament has tweeted this out. She says, for anyone asking me, maybe you should give up Crimea and Donbass in exchange for peace. Before answering this question, name me the specific region in your country you would be willing to give up if Putin started bombing your cities. Mm, California? <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe I should, but I <laughs> just look. I, Team Ukraine here. Team Ukraine. But the fact of the matter is, the world is not coming to your aid as you would like, and I gotta, I gotta wonder if it might be time to start considering the, um, the wind down of, um, Boss and Crimea. I mean, they already they've controlled it since two thousand fourteen. They they've set up shop. They have treated it as their own. They want a land bridge for their military there. You might have to do this if you want them. I mean, it would be a reality if, if they, I, I'm I'm being flippant here about the California situation, but if you if they stormed into your city and your country with a the military, they won't do that here. I mean, the only thing we'd have to worry about are the Mexicans or the Canadians and they're not up for the fight. I mean, at some point, you have to think, do we have to, what do we do to get these people out of our country? It's not an easy answer. It is not an easy answer. Um, But those are the answers or questions Ukraine's going to have to answer. We can't do that for them. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky is signaling they're willing to remain neutral now. But this is going to be a tough conversation for them to have to have. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates, you got the economy, you got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building, you want to build a building reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can.